You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. And all God's people said, well, amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, James chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 1. Uh, because Sheila was sick last night and just everything kind of going, John, I didn't have an opportunity to text the title, but the title of the message today is, Are You a Mercy Hoarder? Are You a Mercy Hoarder? And we're going to be looking today more particularly at James chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. But let's begin at verse 1. We've been out of James for a few weeks. We're going back to this book. Real quickly, remember that the immaculate conception of Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary by, by the Holy Spirit, by God the Father. Uh, but Mary and Joseph would go on to have four brothers, three sisters, the oldest brother next to Jesus, in other words, he would have been the oldest sibling of Mary and Joseph, was James, the one who wrote this particular book of the Bible. In James chapter 1, beginning at, I mean, chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show what? Favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes, he comes in as well. And if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised to those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who slander the noble name of him who you belong to? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Now, put your spiritual antennas up real high, verses 12 and 13, because that's where we're going to be focusing. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. 
We pray, dear Lord, that you just open up our hearts. Help us to hear what you want to say. Forgive me, cleanse me, Lord. Let me be a tool in your hand. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Jim Williams of Montana, in Reader's Digest, in a Reader's Digest article, wrote these words. He said, I was driving too fast one night when I saw the flashing lights of a police car in my rearview mirror. How many of you have ever been in that situation? Teresa, you've got all kinds of connections. What are you praising your hand? <laughs> but anyway, as I pulled over and rolled down the window of my station wagon, I tried to dream up an excuse for my haste. But when the patrolman reached the car, he said nothing. Instead, he merely shined his, flash, his flashlight in my face, then on my seven-month pregnant wife, then on our snoozing eight-month-old in his car seat, then our three other children who were also asleep, and lastly, on the two dogs in the very back of the car. Returning the beam of light to my face, he then uttered the only words of the encounter. Son, he said, you can't afford a ticket. Slow it down. And with that, he returned to his car and he drove away. And this man, Jim Williams, wrote, listen to this, mercy triumphs over the law. And boy, that's true, isn't it? Man, some of the greatest worship services I've ever had is when I got out of a ticket. And boy, we're thankful for those moments. Now, a few weeks ago when we were in James, the last sermon out of this series was called The Horror of Prejudice. And I believe prejudice is a horrible sin. Favoritism. In the Old Testament, the Bible talked about respecter of persons. And in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, James basically paints a picture. He said, a man comes in, and this man is affluent. Everything about him is rich, is money, is power, is prestige. He has a ring. Uh, I told you, you know, Jews, they could actually rent rings. They could go to the ring rental place and rent rings. And it was a sign of affluence and power and popularity if you wore rings on every finger, every finger but your index finger. He was also dressed in purple robes, fine purple cloth. He comes in, and James says, you said to this man, this rich man, you say, listen, we got a special seat over here for you. Then he said a poor man comes in, and in the Greek, this is a one-outfit man. In other words, anybody who knows anything about homeless, and I told you this, when we feed homeless in our holiday meals, we know that afterwards when we go into the bathroom, there's going to be clothing that's left either in the floor or in the garbage. What it is, is that the homeless often have one outfit they've worn for days, Sometimes weak, it is soiled so bad it cannot be cleaned, and they throw it away. This man's a one-outfit man. He comes in, he's poor as dirt, and you look at him, and in the Greek it is this. Hey, buddy, hurry up and sit down, find your seat, or come over here and sit at my feet. And you handle him differently. 
And James said that's favoritism. That's prejudice. That's respecter of persons. And James says that is a sin in the eyes of God. In verse 9 he says it. He said it's a sin. And prejudice is always a sin. Let me make this statement. Prejudice is a sin no matter the color and no matter which direction prejudice is going. You know, for years, I was born in the 1950s, grew up during the Civil Rights Movement, grew up listening to Dr. King and, and, and John F. Kennedy and some of those early civil rights leaders, pol politicians, political figures. And you know, often whites would make this statement about their prejudice. Well, this is just the way I am. This is my culture. This is how I was raised. Or you don't know what they've done to me. And I'd have so often, I would preach, and I would preach against that. And buddy, I can make a congregation so angry when you've been doing it for over 40 years. But you know, the same thing can be said about our black Men and women are black brothers and sisters. You know, often I hear that same reasoning, that same thought. Well, it's our culture. It's the way we are. Or we're victims. Or we're entitled. We can hate. We can be prejudiced. And let me tell you, prejudice is a sin in the eyes of God no matter what color you are and no matter who you're prejudiced toward. It's quiet. The reality is, is that it is a sin. And you know, I wrote down, sometimes we want to minimize our prejudice. We want to somehow uh, justify. But you know, James says it's a sin. And you know what James said here in verses 8 through 11? James says when you and I break that law, we break all the law. You know, John MacArthur said this. He said most of us look at the Ten Commandments like we're bowling. You ever watch bowling? You ever bowled? You know, and, and he said a lot of times what we look at, we'll, we'll, we'll look at the Ten Commandments like ten pins. And, and we'll think, well, you know, I, I may have knocked down two, but eight are still standing. He said, but that's not, now listen, that's not how God sees the law. He went on to say this. He said how God sees the law is a sheet of glass. And it would be like you walking up to a sheet of glass and taking a little hammer and tapping it. And you're saying, well, I'm just going to break this little part of the glass. What's going to happen when you tap that glass? It's going to shatter. It's all going to break. And what he was saying is, listen, you and I may minimize prejudice, respect of persons, favoritism, but in the eyes of God, we're as guilty as if we were a murderer or an adulterer. You see, sometimes we have a tendency to view sin differently. So, and he goes on to say, James says it's illogical anyway. He says, listen, you cater to the rich. You give them a special seat. You make them feel kind of special. Oh, this is Dr. So-and-so, or this is a, a prominent figure in the community, and boy, or she's got a hat that's this big, and, you know, you, you feel like you're sitting behind an umbrella, and, you, you know, you think to yourself, you know, we've got a special place for you, and you lay out the red carpet, you roll everything out for them, and the reality is, James said this, that's a sin. Treat everybody the same. And you know what James said? He said, let me ask you something. He said, who takes you to prison? Who takes your money? So 
isn't it a lot of times the professional people that you and I are catering to that we're run and falling at their feet and we're just all but worshiping them? You see, that's what James is saying. Now, now we come to verses 12 and 13. I want you to listen, because you're going to your, you're gonna have to put your thinking caps on. Now listen to what James says here. He comes to the end of that, and he says, Speak and act as those who are going to be what? They're going to be judged by the law that, that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Speak and act as if you're going to be judged by the law. Now, let me tell you, when I read that, I thought to myself, that doesn't sound like liberty. That doesn't sound like freedom. William Barclay said this. He said, Christians live under the law of liberty. It is, a, it is by the law of liberty that they will be judged. But what does that mean? Unlike the Pharisees and the Orthodox Jews, Christians are not men and women whose lives, now listen closely, whose lives are, gov, are, whose lives are governed, uh, Christians are not men and women whose lives are governed by the external pressure of a whole series of rules and regulations imposed on them from the outside. In other words, what he's saying is, you and I are not living with the law externally out here. And let me give you an example. You know, a lot of times when, you, when I talk to parents, I'll say, parents, children need what? What do they need? Emily said it, with four of her own and a school teacher. Children need boundaries. And often I take chairs and kind of line them up. And as a parent, you are... You, you have boundaries, you communicate those boundaries to your children, you enforce the disobedience or moving outside those boundaries. Parents, if you don't enforce the boundaries, you might as well not have them at all. And the boundaries are pointing toward, we've got a picture of Christ over there. They're, they're pointing toward, the, toward Christ, pointing toward the cross. So your boundaries are guiding your children while at the same time pointing them in a direction. Train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. Now, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, was God establishing external boundaries, just like a row of chairs for the covenant people of Israel and for all of us. God was saying, listen, you don't commit adultery, you don't murder. You don't lie, bear false witness, you don't covet your neighbor's stuff. You don't use God's name in vain. He's laying down all these boundaries, and they're external. Do you understand? Now listen to what William Barclay went on to say. He's talking about the Christian, you and I. He says, we are governed by the inner compulsion of love. They follow the right way, the way, talking about us, the way of love to God and love to other people, not because any external law compels them to do so, nor because there's any threat of punishment that frightens them into doing so, but because the love of Christ within their heart makes them want to do so. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandment. My friend, I cannot be filled with prejudice, with hatred, with favoritism, with respect to person because Christ won't allow it in my heart. 
He says to me, you treat everybody the same. No matter who they are, no matter what color they are, no matter what gender they are, you're to love them as God says, I love this lost world. But what's the problem? Let me tell you, take, take, a, uh, take a left and go to 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Let me tell you the problem. I want you to see this. The problem, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, and you probably say, oh, Brother Jeff, that's your soapbox there. But maybe it is. Now, everybody looks look this way once you get there. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, everybody listen. When you repent of your sin and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus now comes to live where? You are the temple of what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, this is not the church. Do this. I'm the church. I'm the temple of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus is living in me now. So listen, I can't show favoritism. I can't be prejudiced. I can't, I can't mistreat people. Why? Because Jesus Christ doesn't do that. And if I try to do that, there's this conviction. So that's what happens. But guess what? What do we do? You see it? In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, what did Paul say to the church? He said, do not put out the Spirit's fire. In other words, do not quench the Holy Spirit. What he is saying here, and in fact, in the Amplified Bible, it says, do not quench, subdue, or be, un listen to this, or be unresponsive to the working and the guidance of God's Holy Spirit. You and I cannot be prejudiced. We can't show respect to person. We can't show favoritism. We have in our heart a living Savior that says you treat everybody the same. It doesn't matter who they are. And if you don't, it's a sin. Now, real clear. I'm either going to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and I'm going to obey the indwelling Holy Spirit or I'm going to justify my prejudice, my hatred for somebody else. That's what I'm going to do. You ever, you ever, when you're traveling somewhere, put in MapQuest? You don't know where you're going, so you type in on that app, MapQuest. You put that address in, and, and all of a sudden, she's talking to you. Sheila has her voice in a New Zealand dialect because she's got a, one of her best friends is from New Zealand. So Sheila has this New Zealand-sounding woman talking to her. Let me ask you something. Everybody listen. What happens when you disobey MapQuest? What does she say to you? Proceed to route, right? Pro it's as if she's correcting you. All of a sudden, you know, you've just thrown her off. You've upset her. You, you, you took a shortcut or you were familiar and you got off the projected map and now she's saying to you, proceed to route, proceed to route, proceed to route. Do a U-turn, proceed to route. Do you know that's what, Christ Holy Spirit does in you and I unless we suppress it because you know what I do I get mad and I just shut her up and end the route because I know I, I, I figured out a quicker way 
to get there. You know, sometimes we think we're smarter than the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, if you, if you like suppress the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you what's going to happen. From 1 Thessalonians 5.19, I want you to go to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see this now. This is important. In Ephesians chapter 4, watch, watch what Paul says. When you and I suppress God's Holy Spirit, watch what happens. And do not what? In the NIV, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, everybody look this way. God says to me, he says, listen, you're going to love everybody. You're going to love your enemy. You're going to love those who persecute you. You're never going to be able to justify. No, you're, I refuse. You can't hate a race. You can't hate a people. You can't hate black. You can't hate white. You can't hate Hispanic. You can't hate Asian. You can't hate Putin. You can't hate the Russians. You can't hate this. You can't hate nobody. Can't do it. But let me tell you something. I'm determined I'm going to have hate. I'm determined I'm going to show favoritism. I, I'm determined I'm going to have respect of person because I watch the news and I watch CNN and I watch Fox and I watch this program and I watch this program and I watch professional sports and the entertainment and before long it's just brewing in me hatred. But let me tell you, when God's Holy Spirit says you're not going to act like that, you're not going to behave like that, you're not going to hate, you're not going to get caught up into that, you're going to stay clear of it. I'm in your heart. Jesus Christ is in your heart. And listen, if I subdue, if I suppress, if I shut down, put out the fire... You remember John the Baptist said what? He said, I baptize you with water, but there comes one after me whose shoes I'm not even worthy to unlatch. He will baptize you with what? with fire Pentecost Acts chapter 2 they were baptized with fire when you and I it's suppress it's the picture of we are putting out we're trying to put out the Holy Spirit we're trying to suppress put down the fire and as we're doing that listen we are grieving God's Holy Spirit in Ephesians it means you're making God cry inside of you and that's why it hurts can't do it and James says that. Let me tell you something. You, listen, I'm a tough old bird. I didn't tolerate, I've never tolerated prejudice in the white community, and I don't tolerate it in the black. Not at all. You see, the reality is, is that you and I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is impossible for you and I to hate the Bible says he that says he loves God and hates his brother dwells in darkness. And that's true. And this is not very popular right now, is it? You're not hearing this much anymore. But what we know is this, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. You know what God said? God said, I'm going to take the Ten Commandments. I'm going to take the, that law, those boundaries, and I'm going to put them inside of your heart. 
And that's what he says. It's the, it's the new covenant. It's a picture of God taking the law of God and he puts it inside of the heart to where now I don't need somebody externally to tell me not to lust, not to commit adultery, not to look at pornography. I don't need somebody to tell me not to covet my neighbor's wife. I don't need somebody to tell me not to lie, not to do these things because I've got it in my heart and it's welling up in my heart and when I suppress and I try to put it down my friend it's just raging up and it's so miserable why because the holy spirit is weeping in me and it hurts and i can't stay there you know i've got a digital thermostat in the living room last night sheila was sick and you know i covered her up and did what i could went and got some 25 milligrams of fenugrin and water and in there checking on her and finally went in there and laid down on my couch and it was kind of cool and I went over to the thermostat after all the lights were off and I've got a digital thermostat and when you tap it it lights up and it lights up the whole living room I mean it's an unbelievable light and I have the ability with that thermostat to control the temperature in that home now, Sheila was cold. She was having chills. She was wrapped up in that blanket. And then she wanted something else laid on her. So I, I'm, I'm adjusting the thermostat. But the reality is, listen, it's the same with you and I when it comes to our heart. We have the ability to either, listen, yeah, find out what that talking is. We don't need talking in the void. Tell them to go outside. The reality is, is that you and I have the ability. We have a thermostat. And let me tell you, we are either living in obedience to Jesus Christ, lighting up not only our life but the world, or either we're suppressing that. Now let me, let me move a little bit farther and we'll close in a moment. Because, it, because literally, we have here the law of liberty, but I want to talk to you about the light of, about the light of mercy. Watch what, let me read again the Amplified Bible, verse 13. Listen to this. For judge, listen to this, because this is unbelievable. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy, but to the one who has shown mercy, mercy triumphs victoriously over judgment. Let me tell you, mercy is an absolute necessity to my life. I've got to have it. Everybody listen. I've got to have it every day. I do. I never pray that I'm not asking God to forgive me of something. I'm constantly looking. It's an absolute necessity of my life. In fact, I wrote this down. Mercy is the absolute necessity of my life. But listen to this. The receiving of it and the giving of it. Let me read to you Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It's one of my favorite passages. His mercies are new every morning i gotta have it every day listen to what lamentation says because of the lord this is jeremiah who wrote these words because of the lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassion never say never 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 fails 
God's compassion, His mercy, His unconditional love, listen, never fails. His mercies are new every morning of every day. It doesn't matter how much sin the day before. It doesn't matter the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, gets in your head and tells you just how horrible you are. You can smile and say, His mercies are new every morning. Where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. Everlasting, unconditional love. Boy, that's so powerful. I wrote down here, think of mercy like a bank account. Every morning you get up, God deposits into your mercy account all the mercy that, listen, you will need to cover you and to cover everybody you come into contact with. Isn't that great? But look at your neighbor and say, but we've got a problem. And the problem is this. We've got mercy hoarders. You ever seen TV, the TV series Hoarders? How sad. You know? You see people that literally are such hoarders, they hang on to everything. And before long, professional psychiatric help clinical psychologists, people are coming in and they're trying to help this person and often they'll go into these homes and they're finding little corridors and they're stepping over boxes and trash and old candy wrappers and stuff that's piled up and they literally have just barely enough room to live. There's some people in the church that are like that. There's some people who claim to be Christian. You know what they are, and you may be that. They're mercy hoarders. They want mercy. They don't want to give it to nobody else. You remember the man, you remember Jesus told the story of the man who had a debt. His debt was in the millions of dollars. And you remember uh, he was brought to the one who had his debt, and, 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 and the guy said, throw him into prison, throw him and his family into prison. You know, sell them. Do whatever. I want my money. And this man, he falls down. He pleads. Oh, have mercy. Have compassion. You know, forg- you know, give me time. Help me. Now, there's no way this man can pay this debt. That's what Jesus is saying. It's impossible to pay it. And you remember the man forgives the debt. Let's him go free. He goes out and finds some guy that, owns him fi- that owes him $5 and, listen, demands payment. And when he doesn't get his $5, he has him thrown into prison. The servants hear of it, go back and tell the first guy, say, let me tell you what that guy did after you forgave his debt. And you know what happens? And I want you to listen. You know what happens? Because a person who is unmerciful is going to die and go to hell. I want you to hear me. A person who lives in hatred and prejudice and bigotry and favoritism, you are one step, one breath, one heartbeat from hell. Because God is love. Do you know what happened? The one who had the debt of millions of dollars was brought before, his, before the lender, before the one who controlled his debt, and he looked at him and said, I forgave you of millions, and you mean to tell me you wouldn't forgive your friend of $5? He said, take that man, throw him into prison until he pays his debt. And you know what Jesus was saying? And he'll never pay it. Some people are mercy hoarders. 
And, and you may say, well, how do people get to be like that? Well, number one, they, they, they've never received mercy. You see, they're truly not saved. So we can't give what we've not received, right? So because I've got mercy and live in mercy and have to have mercy every day, I'm much more willing to, dis- to, to distribute it to other people, right? Secondly, some people are mercy hoarders and they don't have no mercy for anybody else because they're outside the fellowship of Christ. They've suppressed and quenched and grieved the Holy Spirit. They're reluctant to give what they themselves are not living in. They live by the law. They tick off the boxes. When you ask their testimony, they say, well, I'm doing pretty good. Hadn't lusted lately. Hadn't looked at any porn. Uh, I, I've not, uh, not lied. I think I'm doing pretty good. And that person, listen, that person is not living in the mercy of God, and that person most likely will not give the mercy to anybody else. If I'm living by the law, even though I'm a believer, Paul called them bewitched. If I'm living by the law, my friend, listen to me, then I expect everybody else to live by it too. And if I've got victory over this sin and you don't, then I'm now the judge and jury of your life. Why? Because I don't show mercy. Third reason, we forget our past. Isn't that sad? You know, Paul never forgot his past. He called himself chief of sinners. Paul, called, Paul was always telling his testimony. Had, I was sitting, I was getting ready to get a coffee at Starbucks, and I, and I, and I had a, a retired military man. We, we struck up a conversation. We were talking about Christ, and this retired, this retired military man looked at me. He said, I am a Christian, but I'm so ashamed of some of the thoughts that come into my mind. And he almost looked like he was going to cry waiting on his coffee. Jordan Peterson, in an interview with Dennis Prager, Prager, Dennis Prager, this prominent man, made this statement to Jordan Peterson, who's a clinical psychologist and a university professor. Prager said this. He said, you know, I'm a good judge of character. I can tell when somebody's really good. And he looked at Jordan Peterson, this kind of a phenomenon right now this clinical psychologist this university professor and he said and and you dr peterson you jordan are a good man do you know what jordan peterson did he began to cry he wept in front of this mass of people in this major conference and he looked at dennis prager and he said you are wrong he said i'm not a good man He said, but I am a man now aware of just how terrible I could be if it wasn't for the Savior. The last few words were mine. He ended it by saying, no, I'm not a good man. And the reality is, but I have come to an understanding if this is goodness of how terrible a person I could be. Let me ask you something. Do you ever think about your... Hey, everybody look this way. Hey, everybody look this way, all of you over there. Do you ever think about your sin? Do you ever think about really deep down what a bad person you are, what I am? Hey, would anybody in this room say, hey, take everything I've ever done. Take every thought I've ever had and put it up on the screen for everybody to see. 
Ain't a one of you do that, and nor would I. And that thought right there is enough to keep me merciful to men and women who are struggling. You know the word mercy, Elias in the Greek? Listen to what it is. Mercy, it means kindness or goodwill towards the miserable, the afflicted. Listen to this. Mercy, mercy that comes from Christ, from the Holy Spirit. Mercy is kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. Listen to this. Joined with a desire to help them. Let me tell you, when you pull up at a corner and there's a homeless man or woman, everybody listen, they are not on trial, you are. We had a kitten. We had a kitten that hung around here. I kind of fell in love with that little kitten. And that little kitten, listen, he'd look, he'd look like a lion out there when I'd get here and during the week. Early some Monday mornings, I'd pull up here to clean and to work around the church, and there he'd be. Boy, he'd be trying to make himself look as big as he could. And he'd come up, and he'd rub all the coming. And if he could get into the building, he'd get into the building. And, and when I'd go downstairs, he would walk just like, a, just like a guard dog right alongside of me. Some of you, you didn't care nothing about that kitten. That kitten wasn't on trial. Your heart was. Because a righteous man, you know what the Bible says about a righteous man or a woman? They take care of, of their animals. They see everything is created by God, loved by God, put there by God. And you know what I thought to myself? That kitten is putting me on trial. Now listen, and then I'm going to pray. A person who lacks mercy, what James is saying, who withholds mercy is in danger of a judgment with no mercy. What did Jesus say in the Beatitude? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You don't have mercy, you don't have compassion, you don't have love for people. You don't care nothing about a kitten at the door. You don't care about a homeless man or woman on a street corner. You just simply barrel through life and think it's all about you. You excuse your hatred, your bigotry, your prejudice by some lame excuse that's either come out of Hollywood or out of the sports industry or out of politicians. You justify that hatred when God says, I'm love, and if you hate, you dwell in darkness and you don't know me. God loves you and I too much. And let me tell you what's refreshing. What is refreshing when you and I repent of our sin, give our heart to Jesus Christ, and in that moment, He just comes into us. There was a movie years ago. There was a movie years ago called Joshua. Anybody remember the movie? It was Joshua. And you remember Joshua, was a, he was a pitcher of Jesus Christ. In fact, it was Jesus Christ coming as a as a carpenter in this little community and before long Joshua begins to affect like salt light and yeast and he's affecting this and let me ask you are you affecting your community where you work where you live where you go to school but he began to just change this whole community 
And, 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 but there was this one, there was this one Catholic, if, if I remember Catholic, uh, he wasn't the priest because the priest came around, but he was, he was his superior. He was over him. And, and whoever this Catholic superior was, he just didn't like Joshua. He had a hard time with him. And finally, he takes it all the way to the Vatican to go to the Pope. And here's Joshua. Now, I, know it's just a, I know it's just a movie, but listen. Here's Joshua with this man. And my wife and I were forever affected by this one scene. They're there with the Pope. And Joshua, who is Christ in a human form, says to the Pope, who looks weathered and beaten down, he puts his hand, he reminds him, I want you to know, it's all right. I understand. I know it's heavy. I know it's hard. And then he looks at this angry hardened man no mercy no compassion he looks at this figure in the catholic church and joshua walks up to him and it's an unbelievable scene and he touches his chest and when he does this guy who has this anger and this vehement look in his face all of a sudden he, goes, oh, he just melts and you see love and compassion just all of a sudden grip him and, and he melts and he goes, my Lord and my God, and he begins to cry and he falls down. You remember in The Chosen when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in that scene and Nicodemus falls down and he begins to worship. You don't have mercy, compassion, and the love of Jesus Christ enough to care about other people. You justify your prejudice, your hatred, and your bigotry. You better repent, and you better give your life to Christ because you're one heartbeat away from eternity, separated from a loving God. Black or white, we never, we never justify, we never excuse, we never allow prejudice nowhere near us. Because it is, an, it is a sin against God of the most grievous nature. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we love you and we thank you for the power of these words. And oh Lord, how refreshing, how refreshing it is for those who have mercy and compassion, who find themselves able to love people no matter who they are. The joy that you feel when you read this passage and you smile and say, mercy triumphs over judgment. May we never forget in Luke 16, the rich man is in hell because one reason and one principal reason is that he never gave attention and time to Lazarus. He threw the bread at him while Lazarus ate with dogs. He had no mercy, no love, and no compassion, and he ends up in hell. May we never forget in Matthew 25 at the judgment, when I was hungry, you fed me not. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick, and you did not visit me. A stranger, you did not take me. And Lord, when were you when you failed to do it unto the least of these, my brethren? You showed no compassion, no mercy, no love. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. There's nothing that exemplifies the heart of the believer, the follower of Christ more 
than compassion and mercy and a love that is never fails. And if we want to startle those who may have prejudice and anger and hostility toward us, may we love them with a love that comes from Christ. Lord, I pray today if there's a man or woman, young person here today that has never given their heart to you, they've never repented of their sin, they've never said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the, the Lord, the master of my life. I want to know that kind of love. And I pray today that they would simply say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me and be my Lord. I thank you, Jesus, because of what the Bible teaches in this prayer of faith that I'm saved. Lord, I pray for others who may be battling. They may feel bitterness creeping into their soul. They may feel a simmering anger, hostility, uh, 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 some, some prejudice, some level of bigotry, favoritism, respecter of person. God, you've convicted them today. And they're just simply saying, Lord, forgive me. Help me to see this world like you see it. To love people like you love, just like the woman in Samaria. Help me to stop in the well of life and to sit and talk to those people who may not even look like me or act like me and to love them. As homeless often would say to me, they would laugh and say, they never look in our eyes. Everybody look this way. They never look in our eyes. And you know why about 25 homeless said that one day sitting here? Because they said if they do, we become a person. It's true, the unborn, we murdered about 70 million unborn. Why? Because we refuse to see them as a person. Slavery was because we treated people like property and did not recognize their personhood. Look people in the eyes. A man said to me, I counseled a man this week, said, I'm worried about my 16-year-old. He said, I'm a man's man. He said, this stuff of loving your children and being the kind of parent, he said, it's hard for me. Come here, Junior. You know what I told him? I said, sir, just do this. Just do that. I love you. It's all it takes, Mom, Dad, just a squeeze on the shoulder. It's not just your kids. It's everybody you come into contact with. When people are hurting, whether it's Deidre, whether it's with a little child that's hurting, you just smile and you put your hand on their shoulder, squeeze that shoulder. Say, I love you. Let's pray. Lord, we finish this prayer by helping and asking you to help us to be that Jesus that people can never see until one day they get to heaven. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come.